Homestyle Grain, episode number 50. On this week's show, the business of architecture, with the entree architect himself, Mark R. LePage. Welcome back to episode 50 of Homestyle Green. Now, wow, that's quite uh, quite something to re- to get to episode 50. I only just realized that tonight as I was setting up this cast. Uh, so thank you all to everyone who's listening to the show. Uh, couldn't have, wouldn't have got to this stage if there weren't you people out there listening because then it would just be me sitting down here in front of a microphone, which would be kind of weird. So thank you, and thank you also for the great feedback uh, that I received. I sent out a little bit of a survey, just three questions a couple of weeks ago, and got some great responses from that. It's just really great to know who's out there, what's going on, and also some really good encouraging uh, comments as well. So I might read a couple of those out at the end, really appreciate that. Um, Now this week, I'm very excited, very privileged to have on the show Mark R. LePage, who is an architect in the US, New York. And I first heard Mark's podcast a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago now. And if you get the chance after the show, I really recommend going and listening to his introductory podcast. He did episode zero, kind of laying the foundation of what... He wanted to achieve why he was going to start podcasting himself as an architect and what his belief and passion is. And he's got also quite a good blog and um, a bit of a community around that. So definitely worth checking out. Have a listen particularly to how long he spends getting to know his customers before getting into the design stage. Quite interesting. Um, just before we get into that, in other news, I've got a couple of home shows coming up here in back in New Zealand. Down in Wellington, there is the inaugural Go Green Expo coming up on the 12th and 13th of October. So this is October 2013 that we're in right now. Looking forward to that. I'm doing a couple of seminars down there. So if you're in Wellington, pop along to that. It should be a great event, actually. Some really good exhibitors that are going to be showing uh, on that weekend all about kind of eco-living and eco-products, eco-store is going to be there and, and the, uh, the the book that they've just released about their story, about the story of eco-store, but a whole bunch of other really good products as well and I will be speaking at that event. I'm also speaking at the Canterbury Home Show, which is coming up the weekend after. Uh, that runs from eight, Friday the 18th through to Sunday the 20th of October. I'll be down there on the 19th and 20th. So again, if you're in Christchurch, come along, say day. I'll be on the Home Star Stand. And we'd love to see you. So come and come and say good day, and uh, it'd be great to meet you. A few other things coming up as well. I'm doing a bit of research at the moment on some of the examples of good homes because that's what people told me that they wanted a little bit more of in the survey. And as I was looking at the Earth Song website, I noticed they have a open day coming up on the second of November at two p.m. So it's a month away, but um, maybe pencil that into the diary worth having a look they've got some relatively new buildings out there and they have been going they've been doing this stuff for more than 15 years now and great they have these open days only have them about once every quarter so quite timely that that one's coming up so 2nd of november earth song in western auckland so something for everyone in there 
Now, let's get on with the show, and I hope you enjoy this interview with Mark R. LePage. Today, I am very excited to be back in the studio, and after a couple of false starts on my part, I'm very happy to welcome Mark R. LePage onto Homestyle Green. How are you, Mark? I'm doing well, Matthew. Thanks for inviting me on. Look, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and um, real privilege um, because you are, you've got your own show and you've also got your own very uh, good practice, which I'm, I'd like to talk a little bit about. But first, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what is your current passion? Sure. My, my name's, you know, obviously Mark LePage. I'm, I'm the uh, president and, and, um, uh, Director of Operations at Five Cat Studio Architecture, which is a small residential architecture firm in Westchester County, New York, in the USA. And we, uh, we're about 40 minutes out of New York City, just north of New York City. Mm-hmm. And we specialize in residential additions and renovations mostly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the region that we are in is very built out, uh, very suburban, but, uh, you know, and, and lots of uh, higher end projects. The, the region we're in is is pretty much where a lot of the, um, you know, the uh, the executives and, and bankers and things like that 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 work in New York City. They live, you know, either in Greenwich, Connecticut, or in Westchester County, right. uh, or out on Long Island. And so um, there's a pretty high end market, and that's that's the market we're in. You, you um, have some pretty beautiful examples on your on your website and on the on the Five Studio website. So if people want to have a look at the kind of would that be typical of the the projects that you work on yes yes that's you know pretty much whole house renovations and, and major additions yeah it's pretty much what we do we do an occasional new home uh typically vacation homes uh when they're you know further out yep. from the, from where we are now yeah an occasional tear down where they'll have an old house that that uh, can't be renovated and they'll tear it down and we'll design and build a new home yeah uh, and often, you know, major renovations that are essentially new homes, but but built uh, on top of an existing house where we're we're doing so much work to it, it's essentially a new home. Yeah. So, what are you passionate about, Mike? I am passionate about the business of architecture. I, um, my wife and I are partners. Uh, my wife is Anne Marie McCarthy, and she's my partner at Five Cat Studio, and she's passionate about design. Uh, and much of the things that most architects are passionate about. Uh, I'm passionate about the business of architecture, and so I kid all the time that together we make the perfect architect. Mm-hmm. That, that uh, you know, she, she does a great job on design. I do a great job of running the firm, um, and we have one associate that works with us now uh, who helps us get it all done and is sort of the glue right. between Anne-Marie and myself. And, and uh, but you know, my, my true passion is the business end, and I've uh, started a, uh, a blog and a pop- podcast uh, called The Entrepreneur Architect, and, uh, and that's really where my passion lies, doing, yeah. doing that and, and sharing that information with other architects so they could you know, become successful from the business end as well. And that Entrepreneur Architect is, of course, where I uh, discovered you as well and, and where I first thought it'd be great to, to talk to this guy because of some of the things that you talk about in that show and the journey as well I, I found really useful and but so definitely encourage people in that design environment to to listen to that and uh, have a listen to, to some of your episodes. Why did you start that? What Where's that passion for business side of things come from? 
Uh, I think it's always been in me. I'm, I, I, uh, I'm pretty much a, a born entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. uh, my, my father is a retired auto mechanic, mm -hmm. and all through my life, uh, you know, I've watched him and, and worked with him, uh, where he not only ran a, you know, a pretty successful auto repair business, but he also was very interested in, in, um, in Corvettes and, and cars and, mm -hmm. and restoring Corvettes and, and flipping them and using them as sort of a revenue, an additional revenue stream. And so I saw him do that. Uh, and, uh, you know, every weekend we were at a different car show or a, or a flea market for selling cars and selling car parts. And when I was old enough, I was 13 years old, um, I asked my father if he could help me, you know, do the same thing. And so I bought a 1971 Camaro and fixed that up. I bought it for $1,200 mm -hmm. and uh, I brought it home and I, and I polished it up and I painted, you know, all the details on it and made it look brand new. And I put it out in front of my father's repair shop and I sold it for $2,400. Right. And that really excited me. And so I did that multiple times and, uh, and uh, ended up with a, a car that I still have to this day, a 1969 Camaro nice. uh, Rally Sport that, that now I, you know, I drive my kids around in. And so yeah. um, that's sort of where the, the, the true interest of business came in. But I, I never imagined that I would be a businessman. I always imagined I would be an architect. I decided to be an architect when I was 10. And so I never really looked beyond that. And so I worked uh, toward that goal from the age of 10 right up until I became licensed and uh, and never looked beyond that. But I always had the, the interest of business uh, within me. And so when it was time to uh, start my own firm, which was always the plan from the beginning, all of my professional career was a preparation to start my own. Um, it, uh, you know, I was very blessed to have found Anne-Marie and married Anne-Marie. Yeah. Uh, who you know could could fill in the gaps, and we learned very early that you know I was very good at the things that that she was not so good or not so interested in, and and she was very good at the things that I was not so interested in, and so yeah. uh, that's why we uh, we started our own firm. So you were now you can see the advantage of having experience at an early stage, flipping cars and getting the excitement of earning money and running a business and all the nuts and bolts literally that go with that. Do architects get trained how to run a business? No, and that's that's the biggest problem in our profession from my point of view. You know, we have a lot of difficult uh, positions in the profession of architecture and, and it's not just here in the United States, but it's, it's worldwide. Um, so one of the things that I was very surprised about was that when I launched Entrepreneur Architect, I never imagined that I would get the response from overseas. Mm -hmm. And I would say that at least half of my audience is is non-United States based. Yeah. Uh, and I would say the majority of the feedback I get, it, the majority is, is non-US based. And they're all saying the same thing. They're all saying that uh, they love what I'm doing because it's something that they all recognize they need. Um, and they're all inspired by what I'm doing. Which you know fuels me to do more and make it grow and do other things to to help other architects do do more of what I'm what I'm presenting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I've always said on on Homestyle Green that I don't see the issues in the housing sector as being unique or specific 
to a certain location, which is, I think, something that we often fool ourselves with. We, we think we've got this new, unique climate or u this unique environment. But I, my feeling is that we have a lot more in common uh, because we're all human, but also we have a lot more in common with our business models, with our, um, our environment, with our climate, than we do have indifference. So it does make sense to learn from what's going on around the world and from other yeah. other environments i agree i you know with um since falling in love with podcasting you know i also yeah. listen to to so many different podcasts and i listen to many that are not based in the united states and yeah it, it's it's not really surprising but it's enlightening how similar we all are yes um, you know not not just as people but as business people and and that we all have the same problems and um it's it's amazing how small the world really is and yeah. when we have the internet and these blogs and these podcasts to connect us all um you know the fact that i'm talking to you right now live uh you know via skype yeah. you know when you're in new zealand or yeah. in, you know new york is, is just uh, you know amazing absolutely so i just wanted i i know you're being to talk uh, mostly about business but i, I do want to talk about houses sure. uh, and and also problems what do you see as some of the biggest problems or house that, or producing houses in the in the housing industry at the moment. Well, I I think there's probably two problems. You know, one is that there's a tremendous inventory, uh, especially here, mm. where um, you know the builders overbuilt before the economy collapsed, and uh, you know throughout the economy, you know they sold very few of them, and so there are a tremendous number of houses on the market. And that's starting to change. You know, the, the economy is improving here, and, and and those houses are starting to be sold. But I think a major paradigm shift has happened in in the buyers of those homes. That I think the large builder houses, the big development houses that everybody were was building, and the and the builders were responding to. Um, people are are you know, not so drawn to those anymore that, right. that people are looking for smaller homes that are more efficient. And, and I don't think it's just, you know, to be trendy like it was when things were good. Um, you know, people started, you know, uh, reaching out for green homes almost as if it was a status symbol. And I yep. think that's changed. I think people recognize that that's, you know, it's just a better way to live. So they're not buying, not they're not buying Priuses because they're trendy anymore? Right, exactly. It's just you know, it's just that's, that's what they want to drive. Yeah. Um, and and with the homes, they just want smaller homes. They don't want a house that they have to spend so much money to heat and so much money to clean. That they want homes that that are just enough. And and some of those may still be pretty big homes, but they don't need to be, you know, uh, excessive, which is what they were. Yeah. Is the industry getting that? I think they'll slowly get that. I think builders will always build to what the market is is demanding. Sometimes they're slow. Yeah. Um, but I think that you know they, they were building those big houses because that's what sold fast. Mm, mm. And so I think you know the the building industry um, will always go where the money is. And if the money is in smaller homes that are efficient, then that's what they're going to start building. And they may take a while for them to realize that. You know when we do. Um, we do work with builders. We very rarely design spec homes, mm. um, 
But when I talk to builders, you know, and they want to talk to us about doing what we do, you know, I talk to them about designing, you know, smaller, uh, very well designed, highly efficient houses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to spend $300 a square foot on a house, um, why not build a smaller house and spend $400 a square foot and spend this, the same budget but have yeah. a much better home? Yeah, and, and that's certainly something that we, we, I always encourage. One of the things that you talk about is leadership. It's the name of your show, and you, you've put out a great um, uh, piece of, of writing, which I, your manifesto, which, which talks about leadership in there. Who do you think should lead a change like that? Should, does it need to come from the consumer? Are you bound by always only what the consumer wants, or um, is it the builder? Who, who's the leader there? Well, I, I think, I think realistically, it's the market. It's the it's the consumer. I think the builders will always respond to the market. The builders are going to follow the money. You know, there are some builders out there that you know want to be the cutting edge and, and see that there's you know opportunities there and will go there. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's it falls upon the shoulders of architects to let clients know that there is that opportunity to do that. Right. Um, to to show them that there are other ways of doing it. When they come to them, when a consumer, a, a homeowner comes to an architect and says, oh, hey, I want to build this giant house, mm-hmm. um, I think it's the responsibility of the architect to show them that giant house, but then also show them other opportunities and other options of doing doing things that still meet their requirements, still, still meets the scope of work, um, still meets their budget, but is done in a better way. Have you had an experience of that recently? Well, every job we do, we, we show clients multiple ways. I always show, the way we work is that, is that um, I'm the client contact. Yeah. And so I, I'm the one that, that meets with them. I'm the one that, that sells the job to begin with. Um, and Anne-Marie and John, our associate, work together sort of behind the, behind the scenes as a design team. Anne-Marie designs and John does all the, you know, sort of, uh, you know, tag team. Mm-hmm. Uh, John does most of the production work and a lot of the construction administration. And every job that we do, we show them what they expect, what they ask for, because every client wants to see the, the house that they've dreamt about. Because mm-hmm. before they get to an architect, they've been thinking about it for years. Right. Um, they know what they want, typically. They, and um, they, they have an image of what they, what they expect. Right. So we try to show that to them. And then we always so is that, show that. So is that like a you you would draw it as a as a three D model? Yeah. yeah. Well, we we do it in two D. We do it in right. floor plans and elevations. Okay. And and so you know we we have a preliminary design process that we go through. We have a questionnaire and and several meetings, and we ask them to put together folders of images that they like and the things they don't like. Right. And yep. so before we get to design. We, we have a tremendous amount of information. And so we know exactly what they, not only what they want, but what they need. So, and so, so I've come so we'll, to you and I've described my vision of a five-bedroom house with two garages and I've got a young family and just two kids. What would happen next? Well, we'd show them that house that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. 
And then we may show them one or two other schemes that do similar things that, that meets all their requirements because we've learned what their requirements are, what they, what they, truly, what they truly need. Um, what I often tell clients is that we'll always show them what they want, mm -hmm. but sometimes we'll show them something that they don't expect. Right. And so, um, and that's usually what happens is that, is that we show them what they want and then we do other schemes that, sh that provides what they want, but it's also in a way that they don't expect it to be presented. Right. And, and most often they go with one of the schemes that, that provides them everything that they always wanted, but it's not what they always imagined. What would be an example of, of something that a typical client might not expect? Um, sometimes it's sizes, you know, that, 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 you know, that a house doesn't necessarily need to be the size that it, they expected it mm -hmm. to be. Or we can show them that one room may have multiple uses. Mm, right. And, and you can save a tremendous amount of square footage. And we explain to them how square footage uh, really equals dollars. That yep. if, they, if they want to bring their costs down, they can you know, bring square footage down and you'll have a less expensive home. Or by doing that, by taking three rooms and maybe combining those three uses into one room that can be used in different ways at different times of the day, we could save them you know, quite a bit of money so would that be and, things like offices and games rooms and media rooms, things like that? Yeah, it could it could be you know a a, a family room and a living room sort of being combined, mm -hmm. um, or or an office and a, a television you know media room mm -hmm. and a guest bedroom. Right. Where Instead of having those, to have a separate one for each. Yeah, and some and some clients want that. You know, some clients want the separate rooms, but if we show them that they could do those three uses in one room. And then we show them, we tie it to a dollar amount and say, yeah. okay, well, if you, you know, if you do this one room, which, and then we explain to them, well, you use this room at this time of the day for this, and we use this room for this time of the day. There's, there's little overlap for those uses. Um, and we tie it to a dollar amount and maybe it's a $50,000 savings. Yeah. They start considering those options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you find out what people need as opposed to what they tell you, you that they want? Uh, a, a lot of investigation. We, we, before we design anything, we, we go through about a month worth of, uh, of discovery. Wow. We, we do, um, we have a questionnaire that we, we, as, as soon as it for actually it starts at the interview, even before we're hired, we, an I meet interview. With every, yeah, we meet at an, at the, at the client's home mm -hmm. and we go through the, the house and they talk about what they want and what they, what they expect. Um, I talk to them, give them ideas before we're even, we're hired, we're giving them ideas and what they could do yep. and, you know, general costs of what things cost. Uh, that we do that for two reasons. One is to kind of gather information, but also to, to manage expectations that if they are going to work with us, that this is what they should expect from us. And right. so they, they know our fee upfront. We, they know a general idea on budget on what we think their project might cost. Yeah. Um, and if they want to go ahead with us, then they hire us and we send them a questionnaire. Yeah. And the questionnaire is about five or six pages of questions. And wow. it asks all different kinds of things. Uh, and really the intent of that questionnaire, in addition to all the technical information that we need to do a, an architectural project, there's a lot of questions uh, like, you know, what's your favorite room and why? Uh, do you read books and where do you read them? Mm. Uh, 
where what um, where did you live before you lived in this house? Because those those things allow us to learn about the people we're working with. So we can design a house specific for those people. Right. If you gave us a program and said, okay, we want a five bedroom house and we want you know, two garages and a kitchen and we could design a great house, mm. but it may not be a great house for that client. Right. And so we do, we have that questionnaire. But then we also, we have um, two collections of images. We used to call them, they used to be tear sheets for magazines, mm -hmm. but nobody does it that way anymore. Yeah. <laughs> that house is available in Pinterest. Yeah. So we do idea books, really. We use house mostly. And um, we do one called the love, we used to call it the love folder, but now it's a love idea book. Yeah. And the other one is a loathe idea book. Right. And, and really the idea in those folders or those collections is not just architecture and interior and kitchens, but it's everything that they like. So if they like, you know, classic cars, or if they like traveling, or if they like fashion, those images should be in the love folder as well. Right. Um, specific colors that they like, or just a, just a, a photograph of something they just love. You know, it's just a picture that they love. Yeah. And then the loathe folder is the opposite of that. It's put everything that you don't like into that folder. And then we take those, those images and the questionnaire, and we meet with them again, and we go through all of that. And we have a big, long conversation, probably about an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours long. And it's just a conversation about what they love and what they don't love and what they expect in their project and how they want it to work. And so with all of that information, then we can get to design. And that will allow us to design not only the house that they're expecting, because now we know exactly what they're expecting because we've yeah. just done a lot of work to, to know that. But we also know who they are and what type of house will best suit them. And from our experience, we've been in the business as Five Cat for over almost 15 years, somewhere around there. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we've done this so many times that we, we know we can learn from what they tell us. And and present projects that are great for them and great for their families. It sounds almost as though you're more interested in the people at the early stage than the house. We're interested in the people more throughout the entire project. Yeah. We, I look at architecture, at least, you know, especially in my firm, and I try to teach the people that I, that I talk to that architecture is a business about experience. That it's not a business about houses and construction, it, at least in the residential market. It, yeah. in, in the commercial market, it's different because you're dealing with committees and businesses. And so that's really yeah. more about the building. Yeah. But for houses, it's completely different. Houses, this is, these are people's lives. And these are families living in these houses. And the, the work that we do will literally change the lives of those families. It's amazing that we live that we work in a profession, which I would say very few other professions can claim, that we literally change the way lives work, the Absolutely. way families interact. And so so I see architecture, residential architecture, as as an experience. There's the design experience and there's the construction experience. And my job as an architect is to guide this family through this process, help them find, try to get all of those crazy ideas in their heads that they're overwhelmed with, to try to bring those down into one idea 
which is what that preliminary design process is for. And then once we help them solidify that, then we help them communicate that to us. And then we put together a design and we help them select the design. And then we develop that design and we do our construction drawings and then it goes into construction and we help them find the right contractor. And sometimes we do construction management and we manage the construction and we do that on very specific jobs with specific clients. Yeah. And more typically, we, we help them find a general contractor. Right. And again, it's a, it, it's, a con, it's a matching of personalities that the contractors that we may recommend are all quality contractors. They can all do an exceptional job. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but you're really trying to match the right contractor with the right client to make sure that the personalities work, that the people are going to be able to connect and, and have a successful relationship because you're going to spend the next 8 to 12 months building a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 often the clients are living inside that house. Um, and so you want to make sure that you have the right personalities on the team. And so that's our job as well. And then through construction, it's even more critical because both from a from an experience point of view and from a business point of view from an, as an architect you want to make sure that the construction run, runs smoothly so the client gets what they paid for. Yeah. But you also want to make sure that the client is happy uh, through that process because that's the, pro- that's the point where the client is experiencing the, 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 the project. They're yeah. seeing it happen. They're seeing the problems that happen during construction yeah, yeah. and they're being overwhelmed by that. And I, find, I see it as our job to help them through those problems to work with a contractor as a team to minimize the disruption to the family and to remind the client that we are the ones that designed and created that piece of architecture. That yeah. the builder is building it, but he's following our directions. Mm. And if and if architects are not involved during construction, you lose that opportunity and the client takes that responsibility or the construction contractor takes that responsibility and that credit for the project that they're that they're building yeah yeah it sounds like you'd certainly take a lot of responsibility on throughout the whole process for for the art and for the the delivery and the implementation of of the whole thing i I just want to pick up on your your point there that you made about the effect and the impact that architecture can have and and design uh and how influential design can be for families and for culture and for the environment with that being the case how can architecture become more relevant to the general population and the the mainstream because at the moment um, Mm -hmm. i think architecture penetration uh, certainly in new zealand is somewhere between two and five percent of houses how can architecture become more relevant to more people yeah i i believe that it starts with the business that builders have lots of influence because they're Mm. building homes but they're also much better run businesses Mm -hmm. um even um very often even interior designers and in uh you know house designers they i I don't know if in new zealand they have house designers and architects but here in the u.s they have both yeah, we have architectural some, designers who who are not architects, but they yeah they sort of they do CAD, and some of them are good designers, right? And very often they're very successful because mm-hmm. they understand how to run a business. Yeah, um, 
And I would say that the best way to influence society from an, archi from an architect's point of view um, is to build better businesses, is to understand how to be profitable mm -hmm. and how to be efficient and how to market yourself better and communicate your story as an architect. What do you do as an architect? That, that I don't think it's the responsibility of the organizations to do that. I think it's the responsibility of each architect to do that, to do that on the internet, to do that on their website, to do that every time somebody says, what do you do? You say, I'm an architect. And they say, oh, you, you, you draw pictures for houses. Yeah. Yeah. It's your opportunity to explain to them what we do. Um, but if you, if you had a better business, then you would have more influence. You'd yeah. have more opportunity to design better architecture. And so I would say to start with building a strong business that's, that runs well and is profitable, and then go after the art of the architecture and go after uh, the influence on society. And you have obviously been able to carve out a niche in quite high end and, and renovation. Is there a place for architecture? And if so, what is that place for, at the other end of the spectrum, um, affordable housing and uh, lower end. Um, we've got a big issue now with, with uh, the lack of affordable housing in this country. Should architects be in that space or should that just be left to mass production? No, I, I definitely think architects should be there and I think architects should be there in a bit, very big way. I think that we need to look beyond our traditional practices and look beyond just being a designer of architecture. I think we need, in those spaces, we need to, to start to build those projects ourselves. We need to take on some of those risks and some of those opportunities that builders are taking on mm -hmm. and do those projects ourselves. And then not only will we be able to influence the, the, uh, the, the lives of the people who are going to live in those homes, but make money doing it, because those houses are being done by developers with, with subsidies from the government and those builders are doing that because it's profitable. Mm -hmm. And we can do that too. All we need to do is take the, take the risk and take the initiative uh, and do it ourselves. And I think if architects took that step, um, we would have a much greater influence on, on affordable housing and do it in a much better way. Mm -hmm. Why should architects be involved with those types of projects? I think architects should be involved in every every building that's constructed. I, I you know, I, I I think that, uh, or at least every building that that is occupied by people. Yeah. There's there's lots of buildings that don't need architects. Yeah. But but if it's a building that people are going to work work in or live in or play in, uh, then it should be designed by an architect. And uh, and I think that you know. Uh, if it takes an architect to build that project themselves, uh, then that's what it needs. To, you know what we need to do. What would you say to someone who's got really tight on budget and says, "I can't afford an architect"? Well, that's that is a problem. You know, that's that's uh, that's a problem that architects are struggling with. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that question um, because architects from my point of view, are already working way below the, the, their value, mm. you know, as far as their compensation. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it may be um, 
again, kind of architects looking beyond the traditional firm. Yeah. And, and building businesses that present and, and provide those services in a very different way that will allow architects to bring their fees down and still be a profitable business. Yeah. I, I just spoke with an architect yesterday for an upcoming podcast who runs his firm uh, from his home. He does it all virtually. He has a team that he works with all online. Um, and, uh, you know, he doesn't have a physical office. And he does, you know, very large institutional projects and competes with big firms. Um, I think those kind of opportunities are the, the first step towards that. Mm-hmm. If we could look at different models, look at look at other industries and other, you know, maybe the tech industry and see how they pr- provide services at a yeah. low cost yeah. and, and do things like that. And, you know, not every architect is going to do that, but, you know, there may be an opportunity that we're not seeing because we're so focused on, you know, getting an office and filling it with computers and, mm. you know, providing architectural services. Yeah. Yeah. Um, look, uh, that's uh, a really good vision. I think you've, you've painted there, Mark, for an alternative future and also the importance of getting that, that business stuff right. And certainly people should, you've got a wealth of information in your website your blog your podcast about that so people interested to find out more should definitely head on over there and i but i think philosophically there's some really good questions raised there about the importance of architecture the importance of good design and the opportunities that are presenting themselves in with today's technology and the way businesses are evolving to increase that market share that certainly we see for from architecture true architecture in in the building space and i'd be very excited i'm very excited for that future of architects being having much more influence than just that five percent that they do in the, in the building industry right now yeah and i i think that will happen because what i'm seeing um i'm seeing a movement happen of independent architects sort of leaving behind the big organizations, the big mm. professional organizations, leaving behind the ideas of being, you know, held within the box of architecture. Um, you know, there, there's a, especially online, there are architects talking about, you know, doing things differently yeah. and, and getting together and, and changing the way we do architecture. Yeah. And I think that that future is going to happen. It's just a matter of time. Awesome. All right. We better finish up um, before you go. Have you got a, a book recommendation for our listeners? Yeah, I'm a business guy, so my uh, my book that I recommend to every new business owner is uh, is E Myth Re- E Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Right. Um, it is a book about uh, not only building a business, uh, but it's about sort of organizing your life and understanding what you you really want from your life mm-hmm. and to uh, and to sort of build a business that runs itself so you can go do the things you really love to do. And from an architect's point of view, that's my argument. If you build a better business, you'll be able to do better architecture. You'll be able to create that art that you love to do because your business will run uh, efficiently. Mark, where can people find out more and connect with you? Uh, the, the website is uh, Entrepreneur Architect. The, the, the URL is Entree Architect. 
entrearchitect.com, entrearchitect.com. And um, I'm on Twitter at entrearchitect, and I'm on Facebook at um, entrearchitect. So I'm, I'm there uh, everywhere you look. And LinkedIn. LinkedIn, there's a huge uh, entrepreneur architect LinkedIn group, private group for architects and designers um, that we talk pretty candidly there and, right. and ask questions. So you can find me there too. Awesome. Hey, thank you very much for your time today, Mark. Really appreciate it. Good luck with your mission and uh, also with the podcast and the, the website and everything else. It sounds like you've got a really good community building there and I uh, look forward to uh, watching it grow more. Thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me on your podcast. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly enjoyed uh, talking with Mark. It was, it was a privilege because he's got quite a big following and he's doing some really very cool stuff both in his architectural practice but beyond that and this business of architecture that Mark is really passionate about I think is so transferable and so relevant not just here in New Zealand but around the world I think as architecture struggles and strives to have more influence. So a few things that I took out of that interview was this concept of the just enough house and I find it really, really encouraging to know that even in America where we think bigger is better, well, that's my impression anyway, that people are starting to think about what is enough and that comes down to things like multi-purpose rooms and how much area do I actually need to take up in a house, how big does that house actually need to be. So definitely check out some of the work that Mark's been done and um, there's some pretty amazing houses in there. But, it, but also bear in mind that there's, there seems to be this new philosophy and people starting to question the size of their homes. Number two was the idea of having a love idea book and a loathe idea book. How many people out there do that? Do you do that with your clients? Do you do it with your own home if you're looking at doing a design for yourself or a renovation? And it doesn't have to be. I really like that idea of not just thinking about or cutting out pictures or, or looking at at Pinterest pages of houses. Just collect ideas about what you like and about what you don't like because Mark was really strong on this point that it's not about the building, it's about people. And that's what architecture and design, good design is about people. So think about what's really important to you, what things you enjoy, what you don't like. And if you've got clients, get them to how can you get them to think about those things as well and then translate that into a, into a design vision. The website that Mark briefly mentioned there, you may not have picked it up, was House. And I'll put a link to that, but House is a great resource for all things architecture and design related. And finally, this really strong idea of the influence, the potential influence that architecture and design can have and should have on the built environment, obviously, but also people and the world. And I find that really, really motivating. And part of the reason why I'm down here now wanting to get this out today, because that's really what it's all about, I think, is, is that Mark alluded to the fact, which I've mentioned on the show before, that I think builders and design designers, building professionals, have the potential and the responsibility to have a huge impact on the world. Literally, because of the time that we spend in buildings, and in particular in our houses, we can't help but have an impact on people. And of course, the natural environment as well, and the resources that we consume building and living in those houses. And 
I like Mark's emphasis on the way that architects can have more influence and be more influential, have more of an impact in the built environment is to build a better business. And that is perhaps something that we need to look at here in New Zealand, not just in architecture, but also in the building industry. How, how's your business running? Is there other things that you could do to market the business better? Do people know about what you do and how do, how do you differentiate yourself from somebody or the multitudes of other people that look sim- very similar to the average average consumer? But how how can you differentiate yourself in the market and build a better business so that you can be more influential and really shape people's lives and also the planet around us as well? Anyway, that is enough from me for this week. I hope you enjoyed that show. I certainly enjoyed bringing it to you. Uh, as I mentioned, a couple of events coming up uh, a couple of expos. It seems to be expo season at the moment. So if you are in Wellington or Christchurch in the next few weeks, do come along on the weekends and say good day. We'd love to, uh, to catch up with you. Otherwise, all the best, and we'll catch up again soon on Homestyle Green. 